Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This morning we're taking a break from our Corinthian study in order to close out our Disciple Now weekend. The theme of our Disciple Now weekend has been revival not survival. Several years ago, or several years ago, several weeks ago, um, I asked Justin to to share with me um, both the theme verse of the weekend and what he wanted me to preach on um, this morning as we do close out this weekend. And that's where we're, where we're at this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 together. You know, I want to begin by saying how proud I am of Justin and so grateful for his leadership here at Friendship and his leadership throughout this weekend. Do you realize that every single one of his Disciple Now leaders um, are products of Friendship Baptist Church this weekend? Um, they're, they're products of, of Justin's student ministry. At least three of them are. Um, Jay, our, our drummer, he um, was a little late to the party. Um, he didn't come to be a part of Friendship until um, he was in college, um, but he has gotten active since he's been here. He not only is a part of our worship team, but he and the loves lead out in our um, young adult Bible class and just does a great job. And I'm grateful for Jay. I'm grateful for, for Matthew, Tala, and Caitlin as well, who were our leaders this weekend. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy. As we look at 2 Timothy, there's a couple things for us that I want us to, to realize this morning. First of all, Paul wrote this book from a Roman dungeon, similar to the one that we see up here this morning. At the time of, of, of writing this, um, the emperor of Rome was a gentleman by the name of Nero. Nero is considered to be one of the most brutal men to ever walk this planet. He started the Great Fire of Rome in 64 AD, which resulted in the death of hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And he placed the blame on the Christians. And because of this, believers became the official enemies of Ro the Roman Empire. They would be tortured and countless would be executed, including both Paul and Peter. It is believed that Paul gave his neck to the sword. That's how he died. And it's believed that, that Peter was crucified upside down um, with his feet upward because he said he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. Um, so brutal deaths of the, both of those men. Second Timothy is believed to be the final letter that Paul wrote, and he would write it knowing that his death was near. In fact, in the, in the closing verses of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we read, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me in the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, what great words those are. Paul ran the race of life, and he finished the race strong. 
This weekend, our students have been exposed to the Word of God in some amazing, powerful ways. They've spent hours together studying the Word, reading the Word, worshiping the Lord. They also learned how to take God's Word and apply it to their lives. They were a part of service projects yesterday where, where, where literally they went all over Allen doing different project. Just so proud of them for what they've done. Um, Our message point this morning is this. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know that, don't you? You know, we we know this, what, where these words come from. They come from Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, a verse that all of us know and all of us have quoted many times. These words were spoken to Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah spoke these words as well. He spoke them during a time of great hardship for Israel. They had been enslaved um, and taken into Babylonian captivity, and they were told that this was going to last for a period of 70 years. But there was also a promise that they weren't going to be enslaved forever. They would eventually be, um, be set free. They would eventually return to the land as well. I want you to know this morning that God has a great plan and a purpose for every single one of our lives in this room. He has a great plan for our children, for our students, for our young adults, our medium adults, our old adults, all of us in this room. God has a great plan for us. This morning, let's look at some encouraging words from Paul. First of all, our first point is this, do not be discouraged. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we read, Paul, an apostle, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, Paul was an encourager, wasn't he? He was a great teacher. He was an equipper. He wrote 13 of our New Testament books. His purpose um, in life was to be used of the Lord, to glorify the Lord, and advance the gospel throughout the known world. His purpose also was to strengthen Timothy and others for the task that was set before them. Paul believed in Timothy. And I love this. Paul prayed for Timothy. There's no greater encouragement than knowing that someone is praying for you. Do you agree with that? Do you, do you, do you agree that, man, when you, when, when you um, know that somebody's praying for you, man, there's this comfort that comes with that. There's also um, power in, in it that comes when we pray for other people as well. There's no greater joy that we have than being able to pray for other people. Over the past several months, um, my friend Peggy back here has, has been dealing with some health issues. She hasn't been at church as much as she would like to, um, and, and, but I'm so glad that she is here this morning. Here's what I love about Peggy. Peggy, I'm not going to say your, name, your age unless you tell me it's okay. 91 years old, okay? Um, and the thing I love about Peggy is this. Every single day, she prays for every single member in this church. She goes through our church directory. We need to give her an updated directory as well. I don't know what date 
she has, but she needs a new one, most likely. But she prays for everybody that's in our directory. So you are prayed for every single day by that amazing saint right back there. I want you to know that. And there should be encouragement in knowing that she's praying for you. And let me encourage you to pray for her as well. Pray for our other members of our faith family. Let's pray for one another. You know, Paul did not sit in that prison feeling sorry for himself. He remembered Timothy and others in his prayers. Let us remember each other in our prayers and let us fight for each other as we do life together. Notice our second point, our sub point is this. Paul rejoiced with Timothy. In verse 5, we read, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What I love about Timothy and his family is the transfer of faith that we see. Timothy grand, Timothy's grandmother was a woman of faith, his mother was a woman of faith, and now Timothy is a man of faith. Parents, never underestimate the influence you have on your children and your grandchildren. I heard a four four biblical scholars who were arguing over Bible translations. And I think that if you've been in the church long enough, you've known that there's been some people that have said, man, Paul wrote the King James Version, and that's the only book that I'm going to read and study. You've been there, you know that. But 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 little, little heated conversations that these men had one time. One said he preferred the King James Version because of its beautiful, eloquent, old English. Another said he preferred the American Standard Bible for its literalism. The way it moves the reader from passage to passage with confident feelings of accuracy from the original text. A third man preferred the living Bible because of its penetrating use of words and the turn of a phrase that captures the attention of the reader. After giving the issue further thought, the fourth scholar admitted, I personally preferred my mother's translation. When the other scholars chuckled at him, he responded, yes, she translated it. She translated each page of the Bible into life. It is the most convincing translation I ever saw. The best Bible is the one that is read and applied. That mama was a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it. There's nothing greater that we can give our kids and our grandkids than the transference of faith. I'm proud of you for doing that, my friends. Notice next, do not become cold, but be red hot. In 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 7, we read, For this reason I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, I love that. Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame. Every time I see that verse, and I've shared this with you before, I think about the Fantastic Four. I think about Johnny Storm. When he yells, flame on, what happens? Man, he immediately turns into this fireball, doesn't he? The word for fan into flame comes from the Greek word, anzipuro, which means to stir up. The main part of that word is zipuro, which refers to, you know, at the end of a fire, how, how there's just some embers that are left, especially if you don't tend to that fire. Those embers that are left are eventually going to go out, right? Um, there is no indication that Timothy had allowed 
the flame of his faith to go out. But what Paul is telling him and reminding him here is that he needs to always make sure that he's stoking the flame of faith that is in his life. Men, how many of you like to, to, to start a fire? How many of you like to? I know, I know Larry does because I've seen him do it. Um, and I know some of, of, of you, others of us in this room love to do that. Not only do we like to start a fire, but, but we like to stoke that fire. Man, we add wood to it. In fact, if, if, it's, if it's not breathing, we're okay with throwing it on that fire to, just to see if it's going to burn, right? Um, but what we have to do if we want to keep that flame going, we've got to constantly stoke it. And the same picture is true of our faith. You know, we've all been at that point where we have been red hot for the Lord. And there's also been those times when it feels like, Lord, are you there? Man, it feels like, man, that God has abandoned us. And we know that God hasn't abandoned us, but it feels that way at times, doesn't it? You know, the reason sometimes that it feels like that we have to ask God, God, are you there? Is because during those times, man, there may be an ember there, but we're not feeding that fire are we? We're not engaging in God's Word. We're not spending time in prayer. We not, we're not gathered around um, other believers. Man, it's important that we do these things. Paul is telling Timothy to always keep the fire stoked in order to get that optical flame. You remember growing up singing the song, This Little Light of Mine? You know, I think we all remember that song. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but but the second verse of that, remember there was these... these um, hand signals that went with it. You know, the, I won't let Satan it out. You remember doing that? Um, won't let Satan blow it out. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You know, Satan is going to do whatever he can to try to cause that flame within us to subside. But what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we are constantly engaged in the Word of God. The reason we, we feel red hot after events like Disciple Now and mission trips and camp is because during those events, man, we're engaged in the Word of God, aren't we? We find ourselves studying the Word of God. We find ourselves... Um, not engaged in the things of the world. We're not engaged in the distractions of of the world. But eventually we get back into life and we get back into being exposed to the things of this world. And sometimes during those moments, that flame feels like it's, it's subsiding. To keep the fire stoked, we have to feed it. We have to be men and women of the word. We've got to read the word, hide the word, pray the word, share the word. We've got to gather around the word as well. And the, we know the fire will always be there. We just have to keep feeding it and stoking it. Notice our, our, our third point this morning is this. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. In verses 8 through 12 we read, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has been which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day 
what has been entrusted to me. You know, Paul is telling Timothy here not to be ashamed. Now, as we read through 2 Timothy, Paul shares some raw emotions with Timothy. He had done so much for the church. He had helped establish countless numbers of churches. He had witnessed an untold number of people come to faith in Jesus. He had suffered at the hands of those who opposed the message of Jesus. He had suffered, but that did not keep him from the faithful service he was called to. In fact, as he um, is wrapping up this book, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, he shares these words with Timothy. He said, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Demacia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. You know, I've never been locked up in a prison cell, but I've known others that have been. What I know is that there are hours and hours of loneliness. Paul experienced that loneliness and despair. Paul being lonely, that didn't keep him from, from, from engaging Timothy. And what we know is life is hard at times, right? You know, as the saying goes, life is not a cakewalk, is it? As Christians, we are told that we will be persecuted. We are told that there are going to be temptations that we face. We are told that we will experience storms. Some of those storms are going to be sprinkles. Some of those storms are going to have some embedded thunder. Others of those storms are going to be tornadic, and some are going to be Cat 5 hurricanes. We know that. All of us have probably experienced one level or another of those storms. We have been told that these storms are going to come. And we know this, on our own, we will not be able to get through those tough times. But with Jesus and through his strength and through the gathering of his church body, we know we can. In John 16, Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes, we're going to have some tough times, but we also can be confident knowing that Jesus is with us. In Romans 8, 28, we read, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's look at three subpoints points um, this morning. Um, first, it's this, be bold. In verse 8, we read, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Love that. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why is it that we often are ashamed to share the good news of salvation with others? I think part of it, beyond the, 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 the worry and the scare of how others are going to respond, we share what we're passionate about, don't we? Now, I love my family. Now, I love my wife. I love my son. And I love my daughter. And I'll tell you that um, every single day if you'll listen to me. Now, I love this church. And I'm not ashamed when I'm out in this community to tell those that I, that I encounter that I get to pastor you and that I get to do life with you. Now, I love the Texas Rangers. 
Now, I love that the new season is upon us. Yes, it's spring training, but, you know, opening day is coming. I love the Rangers. I'm, I'm passionate about them, right? I will tell you what I'm passionate about. You will also tell me what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about Jesus, you're not ashamed of Jesus. We share what we're passionate about. You know, several years ago, um, there was a poem that was written entitled Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I don't know who the author of this is. I've seen different people kind of say that they wrote it. But, but this is what um, this poem, um, how it reads. And, and I was first introduced to this back in the 90s. But it reads, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my presence makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, shincy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, com compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. What a great poem. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Just as Paul was clearly unashamed of Christ and willing to die for Christ, you and I need to be unashamed as well. I don't know where I saw this quote, but it goes, Christ is never a cause for shame, but always a truth to share. Our next sub point is this, be confident. Paul writes, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I believe. The reason Paul had hope was the assurance in whom he believed. You've, we've all heard people say, I know that I know that I know. Paul knew in whom he believed. Are you confident in whom you believe? Do you have faith in Jesus. If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? You know, just walking through the plan of salvation this morning, you know, I think it's important that, that we do this um, often. 
You know, the first thing that we have to do before we come to faith in Jesus is we have to admit that we are a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some people or most people. It says all have sinned. And then in Romans 6.23, we see the consequences of that sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. But, greatest but and all of the Bible says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have to first admit that we are a sinner. Second, we have to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In John three sixteen, and Jesus shared these words with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All who believe shall be given the gift of eternal life. In fact, Jesus even said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not 10 ways. There's not 10 million ways to the Father. There's one way, and that way is through Jesus and belief in Jesus. And the next thing that you have to do is you've got to confess your sins before Jesus. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And then you also have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that he did rise to life again. In Romans 10, 9, we read, but it, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. doesn't say you might be saved. It says you will be saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then in Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not a believer this morning, then I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Um, at the conclusion of this service, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I'd love to share with you more. In, our, in closing, our final sub-point this morning is this, be on your guard. In 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, we read, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I love that. Guard the deposit. Think of the Bible as it is, a rich treasure, a gold mine of history and poetry and literature and wisdom. God's word makes us better, doesn't it? It's useful. It's helpful. It is our guide. It is our roadmap. It helps us get through the hard times in life. It helps us to celebrate the good times in life as well. Evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said to a young person, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Some powerful words right there. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We are to guard this word because it has been entrusted to us. But we're not just to keep this word to ourselves; We've got to share it with other people as well. Let me challenge you as we close this morning. Just as Paul challenged young Timothy, he, Paul, he challenges us this morning to always keep that flame burning, always to fan into flame, always to keep that fire stoked, and we do that as we read God's Word and as we apply God's Word to our life. You, you may be here this morning, 
You may not um, have a relationship with Jesus, and today may be that day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus. I'd love to share with you more about how you can do that. I want to encourage you to stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, just thanking you again, Father, just for the privilege it is to gather around your word. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Father, that your word has been given to us, Father, to make us better, Lord. Your word has been entrusted to us, Father, so that we can not only guard the deposit, but also so that we can share your word with other people. Father, I pray this morning that there's somebody here that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, just move in a mighty way this morning during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You come. You come.